I'm Charles Hebert, and these are the Footprints Across Texas. Welcome to a new episode entitled Kreisha the Brewery, the story of the Kreisha family on the bluff in LaGrange, Texas. The year is 1860, and 1860 is a monumental year not only in United States history, but that in the life of Heinrich Kreisha and his family. 1859 witnessed the birth of the couple's son, Otto Kreischer. 1862 marks the arrival of Franklin Kreischer, followed in 1866 by his sister Pauline Kreischer. The couple, Josepha and Heinrich, now have five children residing with them on the bluff. But 1860 is a, is a monumental year in the Kreischer household. The start of the Civil War is only a year away. And for whatever the reason being, Kreisha changes his profession from that of a stonemason to that of a brewer. He begins construction on his brewery in the fall of 1860. The brewery is constructed in a ravine below the house, which utilizes the natural flow of water coming from the springs at the top of the hill. The water will flow into what are called settling tanks and then into the cistern at the brewery. What Kreischer knows about brewing we know very little of, but we do know that three men plus Kreischer plus probably a couple of others helped in the construction of the actual brewery. The brewery we know was operational sometime around 1865-66 as I found documentation when writing the book of a man in San Antonio who wanted to sell Kreischer some of the most perfect hops and he says that he got his, um, his hops from Brownsville, Texas. Well, Brownsville, Texas does not have hops, and those hops might have come in around the Union blockade, which was in effect around the state of Texas at that time in blocking the Confederacy of trade goods coming from foreign countries. There are also hops trees that grow on the bluff in LaGrange, and uh, that might have been utilized during the actual brewing process. What I found in the research was that Kreischer brewed a heavy lager beer, meaning that it was a bottom fermenting beer. He was very successful at getting the hops and the yeast and the barley especially. Brewing in those days was completely different than the modern brewing and so much was left to chance. There is no official recipe of Kreischer beer that has remained behind, which indicates that all batches were different from the previous one. Beer was brewed in large vats, much like it is today, but these vats were made out of copper. And someone asked me on a tour one day, why copper? And I didn't really didn't realize it at the time, but copper is a great uh, conductor of heat. And heat was needed to get the, the mash to a certain point before it could be cooled in a process uh, that Kreischer utilized using what was called flash pan cooling, which means that there was a hose from the, uh, the vat to these pans which were on the brewery floor. Once cooled, that beer was put down below in a vault that Kreischer had built via a canvas hose in the, in the floor, which came down through the ceiling of the vault below. The vault below could hold roughly 750 kegs of beer at any one time. It had an evaporative system, a very elaborate system that Kreischer constructed 
of a water tunnel that went beneath the actual floor of the vault with vents associated above, so it became an evaporative cooling. The beer was uh, stored at roughly 60 degrees Fahrenheit for most of the time. The other interesting thing about uh, brewing beer in the old days was that uh, Kreischer brewed winter beer in the winter because of the extreme temperatures in Texas and trying to curb spoilage. So when I was writing the book, one of the things that came, came to be is he sold winter beer in the summertime. And I started thinking, well, when did he sell summer beer? But there was no summer beer. His beer was sold in quarter keg, half keg, and three-quarter keg. The first kegs to come out of the brewery were roughly 1866, much as a commercial grade was. For actual prices of those kegs, I could not find any ledgers that reflect that. His record keeping was not one of the best. What is interesting, though, is in 1866, his finances came through the, uh, the Civil War quite well as he bought an additional piece of property on the bluff, another 100 acres, for $1,200 in gold coin, which was very unusual in terms of species at the time because the Confederacy in the South was pretty much broke. The other piece that's remarkable about Heinrich Kreische is that he wasn't conscripted into the Confederate Army. In the fall of 1861, Jefferson Davis issued a conscription act by which all men up until 45 years of age would be required to serve in the Confederate Army or leave and go to Mexico. Kreischer did neither. He was of the belief that he left his country to come here and to start a new life and that he wasn't about to get engaged or become entangled in conflicts within the country he resided. Most of the Germans in Fayette County remained neutral. In fact, Fayette County voted to remain in the Union while the rest of the state of Texas voted for secession. So that tells us something a little bit about the county and the German population and what their feelings were towards secession. There were quite a few riots that took place during that period of time in which the Confederacy was forced to send troops into LaGrange to quell the disturbances. As a matter of fact, martial law was declared in the state of Texas during that time as Kreischer was trying to build his brewery. Kreischer's bluff beer became the rage of the whole county. Kreischer's bluff beer would be sold in saloons, it would be sold in grocery stores, it would be sold by merchants both far and wide from here. One of the pieces that I found in, in writing the book again was that beer was sold to his brother-in-law in Hallettsville, Texas, but Kreischer didn't go all the way to Hallettsville. I found a bill of sale that uh, Kreischer would meet his, uh, his brother-in-law, if you would, in uh, Schulenburg. So they'd meet halfway, he'd exchange the empties, and then they'd, they'd uh, take the full back to uh, Hallettsville. So it was a pretty big operation when you stop and consider the times and the dates. The, uh, the beer itself was very technical. There were a lot of sours in the, uh, the manufacture of the beer and the brewing of the beer. A lot of times I, I found that beer barrels were exchanged. Kreischer made the decision, too, to build a ferry uh, across 
from LaGrange so that people could get to the bluff. Now, that ferry is not a ferry in the common sense that it carried passengers per se, but it was a cable network that enabled wagons to cross and wagons could come up the bluff and then Chrysler could exchange beer. The, the making of the beer, the making of the barrels, the making of the hoops and all that rested inside the brewery. When Parks and Wildlife took over the Chrysia site in 1978, they found quite a few of the original hoops that went around the beer barrels. Stacked on the floor, which would have been the floor in the ruins of the old brewery. The barrels were made by a, a, a man in the brewery called a cupper. Now, a cupper has to cut the wood, heat the wood, bend the wood, put the kegs on the floor, responsible for the exchange of the sours, and then and oftentimes create a new barrel. So it was a constant process, and the heat must have been something terrible. The barrels were then coated on the inside with a, a piece called... Um, a pitch. It was a black ball that when heated, it was pitch tar, and it was swirled around the inside of the barrel to seal the barrel so that there was no leakage. Then it was put into the vault to ferment. The yeast was then added, and then when the appropriate time came, Kreischer would sell his beer. He sold both commercial and the private sectors. Saloons sprang up all over the city of LaGrange. In fact, by 1890, there were 11 saloons on the square around LaGrange. And one of the humorous stories of the saloons is that drunks on Friday and Saturday nights would leave one saloon, go around the square from door to door, just tasting the beer in the various saloons. So as he sold his, his beer, he got the idea that he would build his own saloon, his own beer place, and he called that place the Bismarck. Later, it would become the Union Beer Hall, offering exhilarating beverage, as Kreischer called it, by witnessing this ad which appeared in the LaGrange Journal. I have opened a beer hall and am prepared to receive and entertain my friends. Five cents a glass at the Union Beer Hall. Now his competition is beginning to take notice. German beer at that time and beer pretty much was sold hot. Records show that in 1857, the Menger Hotel in San Antonio had the ability to start to produce ice, which would change the landscape for the Chrysler Brewery. He did quite a bit of business locally and in the surrounding areas. But he also had to be aware of his competition. And his competition was growing quickly, as was Kreisch's ability to produce beer. He no longer needed to malt his own beer. Matter of fact, records show that uh, he was buying his supplies from Blaffer & Company, one of the largest supply houses in Houston, Texas, for brewers around the country at that time. There is also an interesting piece that's revealed with the size and the growth of the Chrysler Brewery, and that his, uh, his records indicate that he was doing business with a man named Charles Elliman. Now, Elliman ran a brewery supply house from which Chrysler purchased supplies, much the same as did Blaffer, that included cocks and hands and spigots. Ellerman is the largest supplier of hops and barley, and mash 
in the United States at the time. So large is his operation that a young man named August Bush is working for him at his factory, at his beer processing plant, at his hops processing plant in St. Louis, Missouri. The large production numbers that Chrysler is starting to turn out are getting the attention of the national brewers. He now has the ability to purchase his malt from St. Louis by rail. I have found in writing the book again, uh, bills of sale, if you would, for malt products from the railroad in Schulenburg, because the railroad hadn't existed or hadn't come to be, if you would, uh, in Fayette County until 1881. Kreischer traded. He traded heartily with merchants in town. There's one piece that he traded a keg of beer for a uh, keg of pickled herring from one of the merchants in town. He also did a lot of bartering. If people did work for him, such as transporting beers, such as driving wagons to town, such as bringing empties back, instead of paying them in actual currency, he would often pay them in kegs or quarter kegs of beer. So it's, it's, um, it's quite a production that he has going by the close of the current decade. Kreisch's Bluff Beer became an exhilarating beverage. And he coined the term Frisch Auf, stop and refresh, in reference to his new found trade as a brewmaster, as a brewer. Next episode, we'll continue with the next decade, the 1870 to 1880 prosperity of the Kreischer family in the Grange, Texas. Die stolzen Segel schwellen, Amerika ist ihr Bestimmungsort. Seht, auf dem Verdeck sie stehen, sich noch einmal umzudrehen, ins Vaterland, ins heimatliche Grund.